I am so excited for you all to learn from the expertise of Keith Steele from Meyer Plastics in this new episode of the QAD Customer Podcast. I split this up, our interview up into two episodes since the content and the value is just so good and we ran a little bit long and I wanna make sure you listen to the entire thing. As a quick reminder, this podcast is brought to you by PixDocLib, a longtime partner of QAD and the first company to introduce AP automation into the QAD space. They have really hit the ground running in 2020 here this year. And as of last time I checked, they onboarded five new customers in the QAD space this year for AP automation, even in the midst of the global pandemic we all are very familiar with. They have also brought on at least four new resellers slash partners for QAD customers to do business with PICS and to take advantage of DocLib in their organization to automate manual paper-based business process. I'm excited to see this continued interest in QAD in automation in our ecosystem. Send an email to sales, S-A-L-E-S, at PICS.com. That's sales at picks.com with the subject line automation to learn more and take advantage of the savings you can acquire through listening to this podcast. The first episode with Keith here that we're about to jump into is going to focus on everything from the life of a buyer in a manufacturing company to the quality of question asking in a negotiation to breaking away from the commodity driven selling and buying we are all probably very familiar with as raw material buyers or as buyers or as doing business with purchasing in our manufacturing organizations. Enjoy this jam-packed episode with Keith Steele of Meyer Plastics. Thanks again for coming on, Keith. I appreciate you taking the time, and I'm excited to jump right in here. To get started, could you give me a little history about yourself and sort of define your current role over at Meyer Plastics for everyone? Sure. Yeah. Currently, I'm a buyer in Indianapolis with Plastics Company, and and that's true. You know, Meyer. Going back a little bit as far as my my past, I uh, I think it'd be important to know when I started in my sales career. Since I'm a buyer now, my sales career I started in 1984 with uh, ADT Security Systems. So that was back in a time when ADT had locations in most major cities. Now, of course, ADT has kind of switched it and they have large super centers or mega centers where they have all the alarms brought in to those centers. But back in that time period, it was more on an individual basis. And I started in 84 as far as with sales. So my training, you know, ADT was big on sending you to uh, Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins training. Uh, they did a bunch of ADT training where they would fly you into the East Coast. They were based in Persephone, New Jersey at that point. So they really strove to uh, make an investment and a commitment to make sure their salespeople were trained, which 
really helped to give me a good foundation because to that point, I had not done anything in sales. I left ADT in 91 and I started a career in building material industry in sales. And essentially, I was on a call for an alarm system at a lumber facility and I ended up seeing so much activity as far as material going out that I started talking to some folks there with the lumber management and kind of inquiring as to what the what the pay, what the, the income would be, income level, and how that matched up to what I was making. And it seemed like it was worth uh, taking the shot. So I went ahead and changed over and started working on the uh, building materials industry side. So that lasted about eight years. And yeah, it it was interesting. But you know, one thing it taught me during that time period is when I was with ADT, I was dealing with more like heads of security, heads of banks, large businesses, some small businesses, and homeowners. When I switched over to the building materials industry, now you're working with builders and contractors. You're looking for large specialty projects, such as like apartment complexes. Did some work on stables as far as takeoffs for those on how to build those. But any large uh, paintball, there was a big paintball facility that required a large amount of treated wood. And so you're looking for any kind of opportunity to um, get a blueprint so you can do a material takeoff and hopefully get that business. So it, but it's a whole different audience. And then of course, in 99, I transferred over more to the purchasing side. I was working with a company still in the building materials industry that you did sales part of the day, and then you did purchasing the other part of the day. So it gave me a better understanding of what was involved in the purchasing process. And I'd kind of been playing with it for for quite a while and kind of thinking about it. Well, I got the opportunity from a company in the safety uh, industry to switch over as a full-time purchasing manager. So that's when I really had to look at it and say, okay, what can I make uh, as far as salary and bonus compared to my commissions and bonuses with sales? And at the time I had a young family, we're talking about 99. So I went uh, a little bit more of the safer salary route and that got me into the uh, purchasing. So since that time, I have stayed with purchasing and as I said, when we started, I'm a buyer currently in the plastics industry. So that's one of the things that, that we would talk about. You need to be willing to change. So, so far, we've talked about the alarm industry, building materials industry, the safety industry, and now the plastics industry. And all of those are pretty good size. But you just have to be willing to go where life leads you. Now... I'm making a couple guesses in my head here as to why a company would have someone take on both a sales role and a purchasing role, but maybe getting a little bit more tactical, could you help define 
what the reasoning was behind this decision uh, for a salesperson to both handle selling as well as the purchasing side of things? Sure. And, and that is a great question. What it was, I was with a uh, company. It was still in the building materials, and it was called Hager Industries. And what you did when you started in the morning, you would start calling on your building contractors, lumber yards, things of that nature. And then as soon as you got the trucks filled up for the next day, then you would switch over to your areas of responsibility for the products that you were responsible for, and you would do the purchasing role for those products. So in my situation, I had roofing, insulation, treated material, and siding. So I would go ahead and work with lumber yards, get the trucks ready to go for the next day as far as what we were going to load on them from the people buying that material. And then as soon as those trucks were filled and we knew that we had the loads ready, then we'd go ahead and switch it over to purchasing. And now I would start doing the buying side for those materials that I was responsible for. So it it uh, it kind of helped. He also got into marketing because it was my job to make sure uh, like marketing the roofing and things of that nature, any kind of sales or discount programs that fell under that uh, umbrella also. And in those cases, my sales background really helped me, even though at that particular company, it was more looked at as a buyer's function. So it was good. It was interesting. You had to go both ways. So having that background, especially in sales training, like with Zig Ziglar and uh, the background with your selling career, I am wondering, and I'm sure some of the listeners here are wondering as well, if that influenced the way that you approached the buying process in that role and responsibility uh, that you had at, at Meyer. Uh, and, you know, so tell me a little bit about how you approached the buying side and whether the selling side of your role sort of influenced that approach. Certainly. Well, I believe and what I have found is that life is essentially a negotiation. So while it does give me an edge or advantage to understand both sides of the desk, be it the sales side of the desk or the purchasing side of the desk. In that particular instance, it really helped me because now I'm a buyer talking with someone who's actually trying more from the sales end. And just a few hours ago, I had been in sales trying to get customers to purchase the material. So what that taught me and going forward in my other opportunities more as a buyer is it tells me where the salesperson is trying to take me. As far as when you go into a sales call or to a sales negotiation, you have a direction that you're really focusing on to try to take that customer. 
So as a buyer, if you really understand where that salesperson is trying to to take you, it helps you, number one, with questions, and it helps you to see opportunities that someone that doesn't deal with that all the time, as far as on both sides, they wouldn't realize. They They would have an opportunity, and they would simply pass it by because that wasn't what they were focused on. So if all you're looking at is what's the price, and yet the salesperson is trying to take you through different offers, different options, but you're only focused on one thing, then you're going to miss opportunities. And that's what my sales training really helped me with when I got into the buying side. Now, in your current role, I truly believe that the salesperson is really the, kind of the face of an organization and really could be the presentation of what you will end up experiencing, you know, doing business with that organization. So I'm wondering in your current role, if being in the sales position and having a decorated career in that uh, role and responsibility, if you're able to do some reading between the lines, and I'm curious how you evaluate the company that you're buying from, especially when purchasing something like raw materials, which can be a very commodity or price-driven sale, how do you vet and ensure a company you are buying from is appropriately professional and up to snuff in your eyes? Well, those things are, are pretty much done in the qualifying the qualifying level or the qualifying activity as far as when I get involved, if it's with a, a negotiation, that's one piece. Now, again, that can be a large negotiation where we're really going over a program or that can be trying to get a cost. So when you're trying to get a cost, Number one, you've got to you've you've got to look at or know your audience. So, if I'm talking with someone who sounds like they're more my age, I'm going to address that conversation a little differently than if I'm talking with someone who sounds like they're much younger. So when I say know your audience, you have to keep in mind that if you are are of a particular age group and you're going in to negotiate with someone who is in a much different age group, it doesn't make either one of you right, wrong, bad, good, anything. But what it does do is we are all basically, we learn as we grow and we're all from different times. And so we're going to pick up the traits that we learned as we were going through business. And so you have to take that into consideration. So if I'm speaking with someone who sounds like they're a little more seasoned, and I'm going to know that because I'm going to ask them questions that a person that is a little more seasoned can answer, then what I'm doing is trying to get to where I have a good feeling of who I'm actually speaking with. Not the name, 
but the person. And at that point, then I can start to structure how I want that conversation to go. Because there are certain traits that a baby boomer would look at that may be a little different than a Gen Y, but much maybe much more different than a millennial. If you don't take that into consideration, you're probably not going to have the best call or the best conversation or the best negotiation that you can have. So you really have to take the time. Myself, if I know who I'm going to be negotiating with or working with, then I'm going to go ahead and get as much background on them as I possibly can so that I can start to put that together and use that in my negotiation or my information seeking as much as possible. And you'd be surprised how much it really, really, really works and it sounds so easy to do, but a lot of folks don't do it. So it's just something to keep in mind. And again, that's part of the qualifying process. How would you define a negotiation? How do I define a negotiation? It would be pretty simple. I, I would start out, first of all, with my theory or philosophy. And that is simply, nobody wants to be sold. Yet, people buy stuff every day. So, as you look at that, and you realize that negotiation is really, well, in my case, it was the, the major commonality between sales and buying. So you break it down, everything's a negotiation, be it a professional negotiation where you're negotiating internally within your own organization or externally with another organization. But as you go home, and as you spend time with your family, again, you're negotiating. If you look at yourself, you're going to negotiate. If you tell yourself, hey, if I don't eat any bread, I can have extra meat. Now, from a health standpoint, that may not be good. But from a negotiation standpoint, you're negotiating. So for our conversation today, we'll look more at professional negotiation, but it's just safe to say that once you start really breaking down the negotiating process, you realize just how much you negotiate, and it sometimes is a little bit uh, overwhelming, but you're always looking for those opportunities. As a buyer, how do you take the different desires, wants, or needs from the your organization and the different individuals and then approach the negotiation with those variables in mind? So how do you consider those variables and use them in the process to help direct your conversation, if that makes sense? Yep. When you look at that, I can say the first thing I start with is knowing my audience, but you're exactly right. The next thing you want to look at is, okay, we have this negotiation. What are we negotiating? So what I personally do is I go around to the people that are going to be affected, 
many times, most are my coworkers, and say, okay, what would you have to have out of this negotiation? If you could have anything, maybe I list a few things, but what would be your primary need? And they tell me what they think. Then I go on to the next person. I do this, and I'm creating a list. And what I am creating, I have broken it down to three things. Must-haves, need-to-haves, like-to-haves. So in every negotiation, there's going to be something that if we can't go forward, that could be a game changer. Now, we can talk about different ways to get there, but we have to have this. So that's a must-have. Need-to-have, certainly. You know, there's things that we really do need to help us, to benefit us on both sides. And then the like-to-haves, of course, you know, in a perfect world, what does that look like? Well, there's a lot of things that we'd like to have. But I essentially make it as easy as going through and talking with the people that are going to be affected as well as myself and saying, okay, what do we really want? What do we have to have? It helps me to say, no, we need to get back to this point because this is a must-have. And until we get that, now we may wander away from it and get into a need to have, but I know that I have to get back to the must-have because that's truly what's driving a lot of why I'm there. So, but the way you do that is simply talk with the people that are going to be affected as well as yourself. Thanks again for tuning in today, everyone. To keep up with our series, make sure you go and subscribe to the QAD Customer Podcast. For those of you kind enough to also leave a review of our podcast, I will be sending out a series of $25 Amazon gift cards. So make sure you head over to whatever platform you consume podcasts and leave a review. Thank you all. Until next time.